Hello and welcome to the Be Less Done podcast. If you listen to it in the last series, you'll know that basically we talk to a bunch of SNC coaches who I think maybe work in different areas than I do, or I feel are real intelligent and I try to learn from them and become a little less dumb in the process. This series, we're going to talk a bit more about business as well. So if you have any interest in that, stay tuned and welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. This is, I think, episode six of series two of the Be Less Done podcast. And we've got a, a guest on for the first time today. Um, Aiden is quite a knowledgeable nutritional coach and kind of going to explain all about his business in a second. Um, I know Aiden mostly from we did the same degree in LIT. I think he was a couple years lower than me. But since then, he's gone to further his knowledge in the world of nutrition and start his own current business. Um, so, Aiden, first of all, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the show. Do you want to kind of maybe elaborate on yourself and kind of introduce yourself a little bit further? Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, this is cool. So, my name is Aiden, and I run a small business called Aiden Mackey Health. Um, and what I do currently is consultations with with clients, with 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 everyday people and and athletes, um, and. I write plans and we do we do con- con- continuous coaching to try and improve whatever aspects of their of their um life that we can through nutrition and then um, I've finally gotten to the stage now where it is my it is my main thing it's my it's my main business and um it all it all started kind of um I suppose you've you've heard this story before where you're an obsessed kid you're obsessed with weights you're obsessed with I was obsessed with Hercules and stuff like this but always about muscles and this kind of thing um I trained a lot and then that turned into going and getting my um personal training cert sports sports therapy um gym instruction that that whole um after the uh, the, the, the post le- leaving cert um fetac level level six job so i then used that to get into L- lit where where we would have met and yeah you were i think two years ahead of me but um mm. went and and did four years there in my second year there i put myself through mac nutrition you uni which was headed up by martin mike donald and that has become the the world leading course in in evidence-based nutrition so that was really the main the main shift for me and that really kind of drove home um nutrition for me as being my main thing you know, you, you you always think that you know stuff, but I uh, did that course and I was like, oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> so <laughs> since then, I've I've used that to to humble my, myself a lot and and really um try to be the best practic practitioner that that I can be. Um, so three years on now, and I'm I'm um doing okay, and I'm on a podcast so <laughs> pretty cool <laughs> yeah i mean this is it right mac nutrition university it does seem to kind of be that world leader every time i see someone who's going through that course you just watch their knowledge grow and it's always been an interest of mine to maybe one day do it 
Um, it's just trying to find the time for it. I guess actually that's a terrible excuse right now because we're all in lockdown, but still. <laughs> but, uh, but that's going to kind of, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go expand all about nutrition. And like we said beforehand, we're not already on any time constraints or anything like that. So, you know, we can go into as much detail as you want to. And we're going we're gonna to really look at the kind of key aspects to changing and kind of maintaining those changes in people's body composition. So we like it, like every podcast, you kind of have a few notes. Uh, do you want to start with the kind of role of energy balance and explain that, how that works for people? Yeah, sure. So energy bal- balance is the most fundamental concepts really to, to grasp. Even if you don't, even if you don't count ca- calories to at least know that energy balance is the thing that is going to govern whether you maintain weight whether you whether you put weight weight on or whether you lose um weight and um there are several components to to it which i think is also very important to to understand so we have these four main compartments i suppose of of energy expenditure simplified but knowing these four compartments com- of energy expenditure really helps to to understand where where energy is being spent. Energy, of course, being um, the like our our unit of energy in this case is c- c- calories. So we're talking about first our B BMR, basal metabolic rate. And um, so this is our this is how much energy we we spend at complete rest. Um, so this just keeps us ticking over, keeps the heart beating, um, maintains core body temperature, um, you know, like just generally what what amount of energy um, is leading to homeostasis at complete rest. Um, anything further to to that complete rest is like from the moment that you get up that's that's non-exercise activity thermogenesis which is just fancy talk for physical activity that's not exercise so as soon as you start to move at all that's that's classes neat n-e-a-t um so this is this is the thing that people kind of forget about. Although it's becoming far more um, well known nowadays, since people have Fitbits and and, and smart watches, typically you'll see this as as steps. Once those steps are counted outside of exercise, um, but this is a really variable element of uh, energy ex- expenditure. So it could be a variance of twenty to forty percent of someone's. T- total energy expenditure depending on how many steps you do depending on how uh, much gesticulation you do when you when you talk and all these kinds of things um but then our our next compartment is the thermic effect of feeding so even eating um even eating food so taking in energy has an energy cost so digestion and assimilation of nutrients has an energy cost 
The next compartment is exercise. And this actually makes up quite a, for most people is actually like an, only an hour of their day. So it was typically only going to be like 10% of someone's actual energy expenditure. So thermic effect of feeding is going to be like 10 to 15%. BMR is going to be like 60, 65%. And non-exercise activity could be 20 to 40% depending on the person. Um, but you can make all those up to about 100% and we can find out how, ma how many um, calories it takes for you to to exist and maintain. That would be where your energy balance would be. Um, you eat any less than that, and over time you are going to uh, be, in a, be in an energy deficit, and this is going to lead to changes in your body compartments. So now wherever your, your energy stores are, things are going to shift and you're going to have to liberate energy from some sort of bodily tissue typically it's going to be fat um and that's how fat loss occurs so um if you provide less energy than you than you need your fat stores are going to li liberate enough energy to make up for that de deficit and now you're going to lose lose fat um and it works the other way so otherwise you're just going to keep storing excess energy if you're if you're in an energy surplus so these are just fundamental principles that we can't we can't escape um and the more that people i suppose try and try and struggle with with them and make up reasons as to why they may not be true they're going to find themselves going down all sorts of um um troublesome paths i suppose lead into pseudoscience and stuff like this but it is it is just really practical for people to understand i suppose yeah it's it's, it's pretty important to like even the one thing that's probably going to jump out to most people is the role of exercise and it you know being about 10 percent of what you end up doing um and then you know understanding how important your bmr is and then the other little factors that all have to be taken into consideration to get yourself into basically an energy deficit, a calorie deficit for long-term weight loss or, you know, whatever way you want to look at it. And the opposite way around, of course, is trying to build muscle and gain weight. Um, the next kind of, we will get into the role of, I mean, the role of exercise we've kind of talked about a little bit, but what, what me and you had a chat about beforehand is kind of the importance of protein and how that leads on to maybe understanding why macro splits are a little bit overplayed. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I suppose the importance of protein, right, is that if you if you supply your body with sufficient amounts of protein, what you're going to see is if you're in an energy deficit, you are going to preserve muscle mass. Okay, so once you preserve muscle mass by having enough protein coming in each day uh, in inadequate um, feedings over the course of a day. But we, do, we don't ha have to really go into that much right now. But what that does is preserves muscle mass. So then the other, the 
where the actual calorie deficit comes from doesn't matter a whole lot once you're once you're in that energy the deficit then you are going to be losing fat so whether you start with like whether you start with 150 grams of protein and 200 grams of carbs and 50 grams of fat if that's where your maintenance is at i can't do the do the maths in my head on 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 calories but if you go down to if you cut all of the fat out which isn't healthy by the way um you are going to be in an in an energy deficit if you cut all of the carbs out you're going to be in an energy deficit you could cut out a little bit from each but once you're within an appropriate amount of um macro nutrient ranges for your goals and and for your preferences such that you know we could talk about um like as an athlete do you get maybe between three and five grams per kilogram body weight of carbs per day you want to kind of make sure that you're maybe in that range for most athletes if you're in that range it doesn't matter what the percentage of of carbohydrates are you know what i mean because that's Mm -hmm. you could have a percentage of not enough is still not enough whereas if you know that you're getting the the relative amounts in for your actual needs that's the most important thing um i feel like that wasn't a great way of of explaining that but um what we do know about uh, about fat then is if we go below a certain threshold of fat chronically we get um reductions in immune function and in males we get reduction of um sex steroid hormones um females the the same thing i mean there are there are lower lower end ranges but there are also large functional ranges that we can operate in so let's just put a simple rule of thumb out there and say most people shouldn't go below 25 or 30 percent of their calories as as fat for an extended period of time and within that we have a lot of flexibility still um so so i suppose once you have protein anchored you can say right what are my preferences what is my sport what are my goals and then carbohydrates and and fat can can fall into place there yeah for sure i mean that that you said it wasn't the greatest example or explanation that was a very good explanation it makes a lot of sense right um and it's understanding that even though you're you're still need to be in a calorie deficit of course we do a whole point is that macro splits are probably overplayed but there is there is some kind of rules of thumb as you said that maybe you should you should look to at least kind of maintain a healthier life and that kind of will go into obviously your activity level as well when it comes to the carbohydrate side of things whether you are an athlete who is burning up that energy store or maybe you're more of a sedentary person you know yeah and then i suppose you'll also hear people say oh well if if carbohydrates aren't 
essential we'll let all just go keto or something like that which is kind of it it's kind of taking that too far as well so we also have a rule of thumb for carbohydrates i mean also fiber is is fairly essential so you do need enough carbohydrates coming in that you have fiber coming in as a result i mean we know what general healthy eating patterns are we know the importance of fiber we know that most people like the the average intake of fiber in in western countries is like 11 grams per day like we know that that's not good and we know that we need to get like upwards of 25 grams per day Um, and in order to do that you need to be eating whole grain um carbohydrates you need to be eating um complex carbohydrates potatoes all of these things are going to be kind of if you're inclusive of these types of foods they're pretty good proxy measures for um fiber coming in so although yes we have overplayed macro splits what we do have are healthy eating patterns what we do have are um kind of beneficial athletic eating patterns as well so you know it doesn't always have to be about um an an outcome measure like percentage splits typically they're like i never never actually give anyone a percentage split it's always relative to body weight but um, even when you're working with with an athlete and you're looking at what are the what are the habits, what are the things that make sense to them that you can explain. So are you putting in habits like having a serving of like easily digest, digestible carbohydrates before your training or before your match and do you have one after and that's just a simple habit but by by way of doing that you're getting them to have 100 grams of carbs or more out of their whatever 300 or so um depending who it is obviously but i mean i i suppose what i'm getting at is it can be very very overplayed what um like outcomes rather than patterns or like focusing on a on a number rather than a pattern because sometimes the the kind of the numbers game for people gets overwhelming and in this case percentages completely just um not really helpful to to most yeah, I totally agree. It goes back to what we just said a couple of minutes ago about having a rule of thumb. And obviously, we were, you're always going to touch on the importance of fiber. And if you're at an extremely low carbohydrate place, then it's just going to be almost impossible to get enough fiber into your system. And that's what people kind of tend to forget when they look at all these keto or carnivore diets and stuff like that. Okay, they might have some beneficial effects, but long term, on that gut health, I don't know how beneficial it would be. Who knows, right? Um, and also, like, the, the importance of keeping satiated whenever you're trying to to uh, change body composition or 
either way, right? Even general health, you want to kind of feel full when you eat. Fiber plays a big role in that, and carbs can play a big role in that. Um, but I know you've done a few, you've done a couple of posts on Instagram when it kind of kind of goes against you know satiety index versus the glycemic index for gauging hun- hunger. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So as you said, um, being able to being able to kind of maintain a, a healthy not only body composition but a healthy relationship with food is to be able to kind of rely on your internal hunger cues and that that can be pushed a little bit too far with some people in uh kind of militant intuitive eating camp when they when they kind of take that idea too far um but i suppose what i'm saying is if we have a healthy relationship with food, it means that we can eat to our to our true hunger signals. We can maintain our body comp um, at whatever level we feel we feel com- comfortable with, um, and we we know how to um, kind of distinguish between what is hunger and what is a so what is a homeostatic eating response. So. For the purpose of maintaining um the purpose of kind of not dying let's say and then we have the the he he donic um drive to eat which is pleasure right and it's not to say that that the pleasure one is wrong because it has a place and it's 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 hardwired in us but that can sometimes take over if we have if we let it, I suppose, and if we don't pay attention to what's important for for the homeostatic side, because if we look after the homeostatic side, that means that we have our kind of our volitional ability to include the the pleasurable side of food when we want, and not because we feel we need to. Does that does that make sense? So, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so that just improves someone's someone's control over their intake when they actually seek out foods that make them feel um, satiated, full, satisfied, um, and then they have their their free will at hand to to eat what what they want. And it's like that's I know um, the food environment and stuff kind of make free will not really part of the equation but in a in a kind of localized sense i suppose um it does does obviously help anyway what what i like to do with with clients is kind of make sure that they understand what foods lend themselves the most to this feeling of satisfaction with with each meal and to to not want for much else after after they've eaten. Um, so we have the glycemic index, which came about, what, 30 years ago or so? Um, and it became very, very popular. Um, and a lot of people purported it to be kind of a way to make sure that we manage hunger because blood glucose became implicated in people's um, drive to eat. And I suppose 
it was kind of a reductionist way to think that because we have high blood glucose after having a high glycemic index food and we weren't satisfied that we would want for more but in in reality um if you're having a high glycemic index food that like on its own that's that's going to be something that is not going to sat satisfy you for for other reasons because it hasn't got protein in it it hasn't got fiber in it and it's likely quite um calorie dense at least for it to have a sorry well maybe even not maybe it's not even calorie dense enough to really elicit a a, a satiety response right Mm -hmm. um but we can see where having a low glycemic index food might might help. So it does. It's not as if it doesn't make any sense at all. So yes, if you have a low glycemic index food, that means that it's going to be higher in fiber because we know that f- fiber slows down gastric emptying. It slows down the the rate at which g- g- glucose um reaches the bloodstream and that's that's true right but in in studies where they compare um where they compare calorie equated and macro nutrient equated meals so these meals all have the same calories they all have the same protein carbs and fat the only thing that has changed between the groups is the glycine semic index of the meals what we see is there's no actual difference in people's in people's feelings of fullness or their ad libitum eating after after the fact right so or after the the meals so what that says is if you again equate things for calories and protein carbs and fat you actually get it you get the same response so that's not to say that it that it doesn't matter because those are those are very controlled studies so people don't really live in 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 a very controlled study so by someone choosing foods that are lower on the glycemic index like in terms of getting a client to to eat healthier we want them to eat more whole gr- gr- grains sure and if that in a free living person alters alters that meal so that they feel more more full with less calories there because they've taken up more space with these kind of higher fiber foods that trend on the satiety index quite highly that makes that makes sense so i'm not saying that they're completely um i'm not saying that there's no merit in it but it all links back to the satiety index as a very much um 
more relevant and useful tool for people to um, utilize as a concept. Does that, has everything I said there made? made yeah, of course. I mean, sense? I think that's a really good point that people probably, you know, we we all hear about the role of, you know, glycogen and glycemic index and all these kind of things and all that works. But I really like, that's why we kind of, I want to chat about it on this podcast is obviously whenever a guest comes on, I always kind of scroll through their Instagram to kind of find points that I would like to hear them explain and give a little bit more of information on. And I think you did a really good job there. I think it makes perfect sense. And um, it's something people should really take into consideration when they are, if they are programming for themselves, they are doing nutritional programming for themselves or for other people. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, another thing that, and we'll wrap it up pretty soon, but another thing that I kind of, once again, was scrolling through your Instagram and saw a, in big, in bigger writing was stop getting food intolerance <laughs> tests. And then dot, 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 please, with an exclamation mark. And I go, okay, I want to hear a little bit about this. Um, so do you want to kind of maybe, you know, uh, explain what what your point is on that and maybe people's understandings of food intolerance tests? Yeah, okay. All right. So <laughs> um, these are becoming really, really popular. And they actually have been for, for quite a while. But the the number of times that I've had a consult with uh, with a client or I've heard about other people's experiences like um, so-and-so's mum got a food intolerance test and it told her that she was intolerant to coffee and um, eggs and li- like all of their favourite food, right? And by excluding all of their favourite food, they... Um, they got better or they got relief from whatever ailment it was. So it could have been something to do with irritable bowel. It could have been even some sort of like weight management issue. So, but if you, if you exclude everything, (laughs) you're going to, exclude the thing that is causing you an an upset of of course you are because you're not you're not eating anything anymore um or you're eating very very little and then that's going to obviously have an impact on 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 the waste management side of things as well because you're now eating very little so of course your 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 weight is going to drop i suppose so there's there is buy-in from from people for this reason because it seems like a very simple solution to a very complex issue which is what we all want obviously um but it's just not the case it's just not actually um helpful long term because how long are you going to go without including these these things again um and also on the like this can create all sorts of issues for people's relationships with food because now they have potential dichotomous thinking about these foods so now they have in their head this is good this is bad or this is bad for me and it takes it can sometimes take an awful lot for someone to include that food back in and the reason why they might want to include that food back in is because the the um the standard of testing with these things is not it's not um the same as getting 
getting an allergen test. So this is an IgA immunoglobulin test, which is completely non-specific or unspecific. So it'll basically just give you a list of foods that it sounds like this this little antibody test, right? And it'll tell you how many foods that you've been exposed to, basically. It doesn't tell you what ones are causing the intolerance or the sensitivity. And it actually predicts, so in 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 healthy um, ch children even, it can predict that they are going to have a healthy response to that food. It, it actually can can predict that you are going to um you are going to cope well with the food so if you include something as a as a child let's say it's your first time your first time being exposed to certain foods there is going to be some sort of an antibody response there and what you you can do is when you get that response that's actually predictive that you are going to tolerate that food well not not the opposite so there's there's a serious issue with with this and it's really important to distinguish between what an allergy is what an intolerance is and what a sensitivity to to food is so the food allergy involves the the immune system and intolerance um is just you know, it does actually have to include the the immune system at all. It could be lack of an enzyme, so lack the lactase enzyme. Maybe some people don't don't have that, and they are actually intolerant to lactose as a result. And then we have a sensitivity, which is a very non-specific term. So this is something that people need to like just keep a little bit of a note of. And like there can be no real explanation as to why they are sensitive to it. But just for them personally, it doesn't quite agree with, with them. But um, that's a really, that's, that's kind of, um, it can be very much a per perception thing as well. And that's not really something that we can comment on too much because that you have to kind of get into what the person believes about that situation. Whereas an intolerance is kind of something that you can, you can um, test for because you include that food and straight away, no, it's not happening. And, and, an, and an allergy as well, you'll know all about about that um, because you're going to get an actual allergic um, response to it. And that's that's fairly major. So the only way to to know whether you're you're allergic to a food is to go and get an an allergen test with which is IgA, not IgG. So in IgA, you're going to get a um, provocation test, I believe it's called. So you you they so they try and pr pr 
provoke an actual response um, to see if you are actually allergic to it. Um, and that's that's part of it. But there's a whole background check involved. So you get a you get a uh, medical history, you get a physical exam, you get skin prick te- te- testing, and then you get your oral food challenges. Like there's this whole thing that goes on, and it's not a simple thing like getting your IgG, which is completely non-specific. And even when it comes to in in tolerances. The, the rate or the amount of people that have IBS-like symptoms is really, really high. And it's, again, one of, these, one of these issues that is quite complicated. And you have to work with someone one-on-one. You have to find out a lot about them to figure out what is actually happening with this. There can be loads of little factors. So intolerances that lead to like IBS, so irritable bowel, need to be something that you go to a nutritionist or dietitian with. And again, it's not like they just put you straight on low FODMAPs either. They, they again, start with the, with the primary intervention, which is general healthy lifestyle um like stress management it's you know looking at okay do they have enough fiber generally it's like okay no well then we don't put a load of fiber in there we do it in little baby steps it's like keeping a diary about what food might be causing issues there's so much that goes on before like so people i suppose really need to not look for one of these really simple answers to something that is very complex right yeah that's a it's a really good way of putting it it's it's really interesting to hear that take on it i mean and like it all breaks down to what you just said like you know important to distinguish between one an allergy to an intolerance and then free a sensitivity for food and that's kind of interesting what you said about the antibodies as well um once again hence why i wanted you to talk about it it's probably something most people aren't very aware of and you know as you said you in built bold right and stop getting food intolerance tests and thinking that you are <laughs> intolerant to all these foods, right? You know, uh, having this huge reductionist approach by taking it all out and, and you know, end of the day, what's that going to do for you in the long run? Yeah, and you can g- guarantee that the people that are giving these tests out are assuming that wheat is the thing for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you eat gluten? All right, all right, yeah. You're going to have to stop eating that. That's that's you know I they they could look at you and say that and say I don't I don't even have to test you for that um but it's all it's it's always the case of okay you won't find any reputable professional giving these tests out that's mm-hmm. for sure they're not evidence based. What you're going to find is, and I know, look, you can say there's going to be evidence-based kinesiologists out there. There's going to be evidence-based um, chiropractors out there. There's going to be evidence-based um, acupuncturists out there, right? As long as they don't hang, or what's that saying? As long as they don't, what is that term? Whatever, hold 
hold their opinions really strongly to 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 any one mm-hmm. thing sure they can they can be evidence based but on the whole if you're going to a kinesiologist and this is a really weird term but these are the people that are giving these kinds of tests out and it's going to be like acupuncturists it's going to be herbalists it's going to be these alternative or c- complementary practitioners and um, yeah overall not reputable places to be going for this type of advice yeah for sure you've really got to do functional functional medicine I suppose is another one or functional nutrition therapists this kind of you know terminology yeah I mean this is it you have to kind of have an idea of what you're going to look for and then understanding what actually like having an understanding as you know a client is really important that has to kind of come from obviously the coach you're working with but having understanding before you're going in to see a coach is also hugely important um Aiden mate thank you I know like I said we'll wrap it up around 45 minutes thank you so much for coming on today dude is there anything before we kind of finish up that you'd like to touch on that you haven't touched on yet um not really no I suppose (laughs) just Thanks for thanks for um, listening and, and give me an opportunity to to speak. No, of course. I'll, um, it's only my it's only my my second podcast, but speaking speaking and kind of thinking out loud, I wouldn't always place as one of my one of my best skills, but it's cool and it's been good. And thank you. No, very of much. course, man. Of course, I, I've, you're someone I wanted to have on the show for a while. So when I said I was going to do the second series around now, you were one of the first people I reached out to. Um, and what I do at the end of every podcast is I let everyone kind of plug where people can find them, where they can start to work from. So maybe give everyone your Instagram handle where they can kind of get in touch with you to get a consultation. Super. Yeah. Unreal. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Aiden underscore Mackie underscore health. Uh, that's A-I-D-A-N and that's M-A-C-K-E-Y. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I operate the the most i would say on socials um my website is due to be launched very very soon so hopefully by the time that this is out my website will be up and running so the the upgrade and that'll be aidenmackiehealth.com and you can get in touch through there you can read some read some blogs about more stuff that i've written about if if that interests you and thanks very much that's okay, great perfect. yeah so if that if that um if that website is up and running by the time that uh by the time that we post this, then for sure I'll get in touch and I'll get the link and we'll put it in for in the bio for you as well. So, mate, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, and I hope we can get you back on again sometimes, maybe in Series 3 or something like that. But um, take care of yourself, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. That's a wrap on that podcast with Aidan Mackey, um, a really, in, really intelligent guy and really interested to chat about nutrition. So if anyone's really looking you know, get better knowledge of nutrition or looking for a nutrition coach, I could not recommend him more. Um, so thank you for him for coming on and hopefully we'll get him back on in the future. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk to Fitness by Farach, um, also known as Luca, uh, about owning his own gym and what it was like to start up his own gym during uh, COVID times. We're also going to, in the next couple of weeks, talk to Christine Toma from Physio Delivered. And we're also going to talk to Declan Judge, who's going to come back on once again from Pension and Physio. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more.